All right, so the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 8, chapter number 8, and we're going to begin reading here in verse number 1, right down to verse number 21. So Mark, chapter number 8, number 1, verse number 1 says, In those days the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude. Because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to set down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and gave thanks and break, and gave to the disciples to set before them, And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes and blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about four thousand, and he sent them away. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit, and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand it? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and God, we just want to thank you for the service thus far, Lord. And and God, just thank you, Lord, for the truth we've heard, uh, Lord, through the songs we've sang, and uh, Lord, through the time in your word. Uh, Father, I do pray you'd bless the preaching part of the service. God, I pray you'd help me as I teach and as I preach this morning. God, I pray you'd help me to say what you'd have me to say, Lord, uh, nothing more and nothing less. God, I pray you'd be exalted and glorified in the preaching of your word. And Lord, I pray, God, you would speak to hearts this morning. I pray that the Spirit of God would have free reign within our hearts, that, uh, Lord, we would not resist the Spirit of God, that we would not quench the Spirit of God, uh, Lord, with our response to your word this morning, but that we would be Uh, Lord, just teachable and moldable in the hands of God this morning, as clay in the hands of the potter. And Father, I pray that you'd be exalted, Lord, in uh, in the remainder of the service, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning, uh, we begin a new chapter here in chapter number 8. And again, if we remember back to chapter number 7, we see the fact that Jesus... Again, left Jewish territory. He had spent, uh, again, a long time in the region of Galilee. I don't have a map to show you, but again, if you remember back to the map, uh, to the western side of the Sea of Galilee was the region of Galilee, all right, which had a very large Jewish population. Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've seen that Jesus left the Jewish territory and he went into Gentile territory, including two weeks ago, whenever Jesus went up to the borders of Tyre and Sidon. And as their entire inside on whenever uh, this this woman came to Christ, she was a Gentile woman and she came to Christ with this persistent faith. And we saw how that Jesus rewarded her again for having that persistent faith that didn't give up. She continued to come back to Christ again and again and again. And Jesus rewarded her persistent faith by delivering her daughter from that unclean spirit. And then last week we saw Jesus in the area of Decapolis where he was readily received by the multitudes of people. The first time he went to the capitalists, again, the people uh, told him to leave. But the second time around, the people readily received Christ. Multitudes of people were healed, including the, again, the, the deaf man that we spoke of last week. 
And all these miracles, all these healings we've seen are pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Again, they are signs that Christ has given to the people, not just to the Jewish people, but even now to the Gentile people, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. Jesus had given much evidence up to this point. Uh, Again, one commentator says about these miracles in Gentile territory, he says that they anticipate a future ministry to the Gentiles as a result of Jewish rejection. Again, Christ has presented himself as the Jewish Messiah to the Jewish people, but for the most part, they have rejected their king. They have rejected their Messiah. And therefore, again, Christ, again, because the Jews, most of them have rejected him, Christ is now turning to the Gentiles. And he begins to prepare his disciples for what is soon to come, and that is the extension of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, where Christ calls his disciples to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. And here in today's passage, we see Jesus again showing compassion to a group of Gentiles, to a multitude of disciples, but also rebuking the apostasy um, of the Jewish religion, the apostasy that was seen amongst the Jewish religious leadership of that day. Uh, So let's begin here with the compassion of Christ in verses 1 through 9. And we see here that Mark records a a miracle that is similar to another miracle we read about a couple of weeks ago, uh, back in Mark chapter number 6. Now, if you remember back to Mark 6, Jesus fed a group of 5,000, a group that was made up mainly of Jewish people. Again, and with the little boy's lunch, the five loaves and the two fish, he took those and he, he, he broke those and he multiplied those amongst the people to the point where everybody ate to the full and there, was, there were baskets left over. Well, here in Mark chapter number 8, we find that Jesus once again feeds another multitude of 4,000. He feeds here this multitude of 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish. We see here in verse number 2, Jesus says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven. And he commanded the people to set down on the ground and took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. So we see here once again Jesus, again, performing a miracle and displaying his power. And he has these divine attributes that only God could have. And he is showing his deity. He is showing that he truly is the Son of God. Again, no mere man could take seven loaves and a few fish and feed a crowd of 4,000 people, which, kind of like the crowd before, would have actually been many more than that if you include the women and the children that would have been a part of that group. But we see here Jesus does just that. Again, we see his power. We see his, again, his, his authority over nature to take, again, a, a few loaves and to multiply it to feed a great crowd of people. Consider with me, however, the makeup of the multitude. This multitude is different than the multitude that we saw back in Mark 6 where Jesus fed the 5,000. The previous multitude was made up of uh, primarily Jewish people, maybe all Jewish people. But this multitude is made up of Gentiles, okay? primarily made up of Gentiles. But why is that significant? And I, I think that's significant this morning because we find here that Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is to come. Think about it. The disciples of Christ, again, were, they were Jewish men. Uh, they had been raised in Jewish culture. And they had been raised to think, again, like, like the Jew, like Jews of their day. And to them, to sit down and eat a meal with a Gentile, in their mind, they would consider that unclean. All right? Most Jews wouldn't even go through Gentile territory. They would go around Gentile territory. All right? They wouldn't eat a meal with Gentiles unless they become unclean. But notice what Jesus is doing here. Jesus has a meal with Gentiles. 
not just a few, but thousands. Jesus, in the presence of his disciples, has a meal with thousands of Gentiles. And he is showing them that just as he came as the bread of life to the Jews, so also he has come as the bread of life to the Gentiles as well. Jesus has come to die for the sins of the world. And Jesus is preparing his disciples to take that gospel message beyond Israel. Yes, to preach to the Jew first, but also to go beyond Israel and to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Like I said earlier, Jesus had come as the Jewish Messiah in fulfillment of Jewish prophecies uh, to the Jewish nation as their king to set up again. And he offered them that messianic kingdom. Yet in the rejection of the messianic kingdom, that kingdom was postponed and Jesus turned to the Gentiles. And to this very day in which we speak, the Jewish nation as a whole remains uh, in spiritual blindness. And there are some Jews that recognize their Messiah, that have believed upon Christ, but for the most part, many of them remain in spiritual blindness. And that's the fulfillment of prophecy. I mean, the book of Romans tells us that that would be the case. Romans chapter 11 Verses 11 and 12, it says this, I say then, have they, speaking of the Jews, stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. For to provoke them, that is the Jews, to jealousy. Now if the fall of them, speaking of the Jews, be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So we see here that, again, the nation of Israel remains in spiritual blindness. They've been temporarily set aside, and Christ is, in this this day and age in which we live, Jesus is building his church. But we know Jesus is going to come back, and he is going to turn his attention back to the Jewish nation. He is going to fulfill his promises to the Jewish nation in the millennial kingdom. But he is also, what we're also going to see in the Great Tribulation is the fact that the Jews will recognize their Messiah. They will be spiritually awakened to the fact that Jesus is their Messiah. The Bible says they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. So Israel's loss became the Gentiles' gain. And I praise the Lord for that. You know, we have the gospel today, uh, again, again, because of, of this extension of the gospel to the world. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for this task which goes totally against the grain of their culture and, and goes totally against their built-in prejudice against the Gentiles. So I, I think it's significant to point out the fact that this, this multitude is made up of Gentiles. But also consider the compassion of Christ. Jesus looked out upon the Gentiles, all right, people that the Jews would have avoided. They would have despised. They would have looked down upon. And Jesus looks out upon this group of Gentiles and notice what the Bible says. The Bible says he has compassion within his heart. He looks out upon them just as he looked out upon the Jewish multitude and had compassion. So we see he also has compassion upon these Gentiles. These people, uh, this, this multitude had been listening to Christ for three days. That's a long time. They had been listening intently to the words of Christ and observing the miracles of Christ. Uh, but because of that, their food supply is beginning to run short. And notice what Jesus says here. Jesus responds. Um, he, he recognizes their physical need. Uh, again, he recognizes that if he sends them away, verse number three, if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. So Jesus recognizes that if he just sends them away, and these people are going to faint by the way. Again, they won't be able to make it. They'll be famished. They need sustenance. They need food to be able to get back to their homes. And we see here the fact that, yes, Jesus' primary focus was on the spiritual needs of man. Jesus also had a concern for the physical needs of man as well, as you see right here. Again, Jesus, again, provided them the food they needed to be able to go back to their homes and give them the strength to do so. But notice verse number four. We see here the question of the disciples. The question of the disciples. Verse number four says, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread in the wilderness? All right, so they come to Christ. They they ask him that question. And Jesus turns to them and, and asks them a question. He says, How many loaves have ye? Now, that is a surprising question for the disciples to ask. I mean, just a few months before this, they had seen Christ 
again, do this same miracle to an even larger group of people, to a group of 5,000. But they come to Christ and they ask, where can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Had the disciples so soon forgotten the provision of Christ? Had they so quickly forgotten the power of Jesus Christ? I mean, they, they had seen the other miracle of multiplication. Surely he could do it again. Surely he could provide for a group of 4,000. However, if we think about it, again, we're not that different than the disciples, are we? All right, don't be too hard on the disciples, again, because we're often the same exact way. All right, we, go, we come to some crisis situation in our life when we call upon God to give us wisdom or to provide for us or to do this or that. And God comes through and God again provides for us over and beyond what we've been asked for. And then later on down the road, a few months down the road, another crisis situation hits our life and we begin to worry and we, we begin to fret and we begin to be anxious and doubt God whether he will come through and provide for us. Again, we're like the disciples. We quickly forget God's past faithfulness during present during a present crisis. And that is one reason why it's so good for us to, to go back and to think about all the blessings of God. To think about all the provision of God. Maybe keep a journal. Again, maybe write things down so whenever you get to the place in your life, you can go back and say, again, I can go back and read page after page of how God provided for me in my life. Again, do I think that God is going to forgive me in this situation? Again, no, he's not. Just as God provided in the previous situation, so God would provide in this situation as well. And we see here the miracle of Christ. Again, Christ takes these, these seven loaves, he takes these few fish, and he, he distributes them until, again, every person is full and there's seven baskets left over. So Jesus took the little bit that the disciples had, and Jesus used it, again, to feed a great multitude. And he used it, and he multiplied it to feed this great group, group of people. You know, and Jesus can do the same with us. You may say, again, well, I don't have much to offer God. You know, I, I don't have many talents. I don't have many resources in this life. I, again, I really don't have much to offer God. We see the disciples here. Again, they, they, they simply put those seven loaves and few fish in the hands of Christ. And he took those things, and he multiplied those things over and beyond, again, what they uh, could, could even imagine. You know, and Jesus can do the same with us. You may not have much, but take the little bit you do have and place it at the disposal of Jesus Christ, and you will see him do great and marvelous things. Again, one surrendered life. Again, somebody that the world doesn't even know about. Again, who comes to Christ, surrenders their life to Christ. God can do great and marvelous things through that one person's life. Again, just surrender the little bit you do have to Christ. Put it in his hands. Place it at God's disposal and see, again, just like the disciples did, the great and marvelous things that God can do through that. Let's continue on, though. Uh, take a look at verse number 10 down to verse number uh, 13. We see here the condemnation of unbelief. The condemnation of unbelief. Verse number 10 says, And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them and enter, entering into the ship, again departed to the other side. So we see here, after feeding the 4,000, Jesus and his disciples get into a ship and they go back for a brief trip to the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And as Jesus and his disciples again make landfall, notice who, notice who comes out to meet Christ and the disciples. Again, a group that we're becoming very familiar with, the group we've talked about in the past, and that is the Pharisees. All right, so the Pharisees come to Christ. Again, the Matthew, if you read the account of Matthew, he also adds that the Sadducees were also tagging along. All right, so the Pharisees, the Sadducees come to Christ. And this is unique because of the fact that under normal circumstances, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were bitter enemies. All right? they, they opposed one another. But whenever it came to opposing Christ and opposing the truth, they were willing to set aside their differences in order to do that. You know, we see that we've seen that in the past. We, we looked at in the past the Pharisees and the Herodians, same thing. The Pharisees and the Herodians were complete opposite. I mean, they, they hated one another. 
But they were willing to come together to conspire against Christ and how to destroy him. And we see the same thing in our world today. You know, you have you have groups that, you know, maybe opposite ends of a, polit- a political spectrum. You know, you, you have you have Christless liberals. And then on this other side, you maybe have Christless conservatives. And, you know, they 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 believe different things politically. But whenever it comes to the gospel, whenever it comes to the truth of Jesus Christ, it offends them. And they come and they, they oppose, again, the truth of the gospel. And they're willing to set aside their differences to come against the truth of the gospel. That is why, again, make sure you're on the right side. And that is the side of Christ. Whenever the world opposes Christ, you may be surprised. When groups that are usually enemies and in opposition to one another are willing to set aside those differences to come against the gospel. And you see it. Again, it's not just, again, we expect liberals to do that, but there's, there's even some conservatives that do that. And that's becoming more prevalent in our day and age. Again, where there's there's many people who are politically conservative, but again, they 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 don't believe the gospel. You know, they they don't believe in Jesus Christ and they'll oppose Christ and the gospel just as much as as anybody else will. So we see here the Pharisees, the Sadducees coming together, setting aside their differences in order to oppose the truth. And the Bible says in verse 11, notice here, it says they came forth and began to question with him, seeking a sign from heaven tempting him. Now, maybe, again, uh, as you began reading this verse, you were you were wondering, well, maybe the Pharisees finally decided to believe on Christ. Right? They, they come to Christ. You know, they're, they're, they're seeking a sign from him. They, they come with questions. But the latter part of the verse makes it clear what their motivation was. They came tempting him. They came to test him. They came to trap him, ultimately to destroy him. Right? Their, their motivation is not a sincere and pure motivation. Their motivation is an evil motivation. They have evil intent in coming to Christ and questioning him. They're tempting him. They're testing him. As we've seen, their, their mind is already made up. I mean, they, they've rejected Christ, again, way before this instance. But they come to him, again, asking for a sign. And Jesus doesn't respond by giving them a sign. All right, Jesus has give, given plenty of signs that he's the Messiah up to this point. Again, he's not going to give these hardened skeptics a sign that he's the Messiah. He's given them plenty of signs. He's given them plenty of evidence that he's the Son of God, that he's the fulfillment of prophecy, that he is the long-awaited Messiah. But their problem, again, is... is is that they've, they've closed their eyes to the light of truth. They've closed their ears, again, to the voice of truth. Again, they're not coming to Christ in order to find reasons to believe upon Christ. They're coming to Christ in order to find reasons to not believe on Christ. And just like you might talk to somebody at, at your workplace who, uh, again, sure, they'll talk to you about Christianity, but they're not actually interested in knowing the truth. They're a skeptic, all right? They, they just want to ask questions to trip you up. They just want to ask questions in order to in order to, to, to do exactly what the Pharisees are doing with, with Jesus Christ here. And the Bible says that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. He didn't give them a sign. He had given them plenty of signs. He sighed deeply in his spirit. Jesus was, was heartbroken. Again, over the willful ignorance, over the willful unbelief. Of these Pharisees. Can Christ had offered them light? Christ had offered them truth. He had come as the Messiah. Can he had shown many signs to prove that? And yet Christ knows the hearts of men and he sighs deeply in his spirit over these men. Verse number 12, Jesus said, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. The gospel account of Matthew adds this in, in Matthew 16, verse 4. Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Now consider the fact that Mark is writing to a Gentile audience all right, that would have not been familiar with Jonah. All right? Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience that would have been very familiar with the prophet Jonah. All right, so we see here that Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew to the Jewish audience, there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. 
Right, so Jesus, up to this point, had clearly proven that he was the Messiah. He had healed the sick. He had cleansed the lepers. He had multiplied, again, just a small, a small lunch and, and fed thousands. He had raised the dead. He had spoke truth with authority. He had done all these things pointing to the fact that he was not just a mere prophet. No, he truly was the son of God. At the same time, Jesus says, the ultimate proof that I am the Messiah will be seen in my death and my resurrection. You know what happens to all the other religious prophets? Again, they die and they're still in the grave to this day. But Jesus is unique in the sense, Jesus is unique in the fact that yes, he died upon the cross for our sins. He was buried, but three days later he rose up again from the grave and he is alive forevermore. He is, the li- he is a living savior. He both died, he was risen, and he lives forevermore. And Jesus says to the Jewish audience in Matthew, again, I'll give you one more sign. This is the ultimate proof. And that is the sign of the resurrection. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the well, again, so shall I be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, uh, Matthew 12, verse number 40 and 41, Jesus says, the men of, or verse 40, Jesus said, for as Jonah, speaking of Jonah, was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But notice what Jesus says. He says, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation. Speaking of that generation made up of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, first century Judaism. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The men of Nineveh, I mean, they they were complete idolaters. They were pagans. They they didn't know anything about the one true and living God. Yet God sent a prophet, a reluctant prophet, by the name of Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to them that God was going to overthrow the city. And guess how these, how these, these, these idolaters, pagans responded? They put on sackcloth and ashes, and they wept, and they, they, they sorrowed over their sins, and they repented before God. And guess what? God showed mercy to the Ninevites, a Gentile people, back in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, Jonah came to the Assyrians, to the Ninevites, and they repented. A greater than Jonas is here. Again, the greatest prophet Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah is here. Again, and I am speaking truth to this generation, and guess what? They don't listen. They won't repent. Their hearts are hardened against the truth. They've closed their eyes, they've closed their ears to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. You know, even at his resurrection, the Jews, uh, again, tried to bribe the Roman soldiers, remember, and uh, told them to spread a lie, you know, that, that somebody had come and stole the body of Christ. And so we see, again, even after his resurrection, they still didn't believe. You, you see just the state of unbelief and the hardness of their heart that these, that these people were in. And the Bible says here that Jesus responded back here in Mark 8. The Bible says Jesus responded by, by leaving them. Verse 13, he left them and entering into the ship again departed to the other side. So Jesus doesn't show them a sign. All right. Again, he, he calls them a, a wicked generation. He gets in his boat with his disciples and he goes to the other side. He leaves them in their unbelief. He leaves them in their he leaves them in their in their condemned state. He leaves them again in that state of unbelief. Again, that's not unmerciful. You know, Jesus had given many chances for these people to repent. Jesus again had had given much light to these people. He had done many miracles before these people. I mean, this was really the most privileged generation upon planet Earth, you know, to be able to be there when the Son of God roamed the streets of Earth. I mean, can you imagine living in that day and age? You know, think of the privileges these people had. The light, the, the light of Christ in, in human form. Again, those walking in their midst. But they chose to reject him. Again, time and time again, they responded not in repentant faith, but they responded in hardened Unbelief. Therefore, Jesus left them in spiritual darkness. And at this point in Christ's ministry, we're going to see that there's there's a shift in his focus of ministry. 
Again, Jesus, yes, will still minister to the crowds. Jesus will still minister to, again, Jews and Gentiles. But at the same time, we see here Jesus, again, is, has, has preached in the region of Galilee many times. I mean, he spent the bulk of his ministry in Galilee. But Jesus, again, is going to turn his back upon Galilee and start heading down towards Judea and towards Jerusalem, which will eventually lead to, his, uh, to Calvary. And Jesus is going to focus less on the multitudes and more on his disciples, on preparing his disciples for what is to come. I mean, these, these apostles need some training. These apostles, again, they, they need some teaching. They need some time with Christ, again, because Christ is going to leave with them a great mission, a great challenge that he is going to give them to do. And they need to be prepared for that. Jesus is going to go back to heaven. You know, these, these Pharisees here, they remind us of, of a very particular danger, and that is the danger of continually responding to the word of God with a heart of unbelief. You know, they, they had Christ in human form standing in front of them, and they rejected him. The Bible says, again, we have, we have the completed word of God. We have the sufficient word of God. We have the light of God's truth in the Bible. You know, and it's the words of God that will either justify or condemn us in our response to the words of Christ. Again, will we heed them? Will we hear them? Will we obey them? Will we listen to them and apply them to our lives? You know, God is a God is a long-suffering God. God is a very patient God. You see that with the Pharisees. God was patient with the Pharisees. I mean, they they've already accused him of doing his work by the power of Satan. I mean, that's that's blasphemy. You know, Christ has been merciful to them. But there comes a point, as, as it did with the Pharisees, where a person continually rejects the light again and again and again and again, where Christ leaves them in their state of blindness. Again, where that point is, I don't know. But just as you see with the Pharisees, Christ, again, would not give them anything else. Oh, they ask for a sign, but they're not sincere. And they don't actually want the truth, and Christ knows, Christ knows their hearts. Christ leaves them. He goes back to others, again, who are willing to receive the truth of his word. You know, we see here the state of spiritual blindness the Pharisees are in ultimately leads to eternal darkness and hell. Matthew 25, 30 speaks of hell as a place of outer darkness. There shall be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. Now, there are many people in this world that have been offered the light of truth, that have been offered the light of the gospel again and again and again. But they continually respond like the Pharisees did. And they say, no, I don't want it. I'm not interested. Not now. Maybe later. Again, and they respond like the Pharisees did. Again, rejecting the truth. Again, and remaining in spiritual darkness. And that's a very dangerous place to be. The Bible says in John 3.19, it speaks of those who love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Again, many people in this world persist in their unbelief. And they would rather hold on to their sin, cling on to their sin that is, again, that, that is drowning them, that is bringing them to, again, to, to the eternal lake of fire. Again, but they don't, they don't want to let go of their beloved sins that they might have life. That they may receive Christ and find life and forgiveness, again, and again, the promise of heaven. You know, if you're here today, and again, you, you say, I've heard the gospel again and again and again, but there's never been a time in my life whenever I have truly repented of my sin. Again, I've, I've raised the white flag of surrender to God and said, God, I'm done going my way. God, I want to go your way. That's repentance. And place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. If you've never done that, let me, let me. Again, plead with you as much as I can in that today is the day of salvation. And that's not something to put off. It's very dangerous to continually put off, again, rejecting the light of truth again and again and again. And we understand that the path of unbelief ultimately leads to punishment and everlasting hell. Let's continue on, though. We see that Christ not only condemns the unbelief of the Pharisees, but he also cautions the disciples. He cautions the disciples. Take a look at verse 14. The Bible says, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. All right, so Jesus is back in the boat with his disciples, and again, he's left the Pharisees behind, and he's going back to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and we find here that the disciples are focused on the physical, all right? They're focused on food. They've remembered, uh, again, that they had forgotten to take bread for their journey. 
All they had was one loaf of bread on their journey. And how in the world was that going to feed 12 hungry men? Well, again, did they, did they forget who they were with? And this is the very one that just took seven loaves and a few fish and fed a crowd of 4,000. And this is the one who took five loaves and two fish and fed a crowd of 5,000 a few months before this. Had the disciples forgotten who, who, who was in the boat with them? Surely this wasn't a problem with Christ. Right? Maybe it seemed like a problem to them. Again, what are we going to do? We only have one loaf of bread and we're hungry. That's, that's not a problem for Jesus. That's not a problem for Christ. But we see here that their focus is on the temporal. It's on the physical, where they would get their next meal. But in verse number 15, we see here that Jesus, his focus was on the spiritual. His focus is on the eternal. All right, so while the Pharisees are, are wondering where they're going to get their next meal, how they're going to have enough food, how one loaf of bread is going to feed 12 hungry men, Jesus, again, gives them a spiritual lesson. Take a look at verse 15. The Bible says, and he charged them, saying, take heed. All right, listen up, pay attention. Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Now, what in the world does that have to do with bread? All right, the disciples are focused on, on food. They're focused on, again, their next meal. They're focused on, again, the fact that they didn't bring enough bread to feed their hung, hungry stomachs. But Jesus turns to them and he warns them, take heed, pay attention, listen up. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of Herod. Jesus Christ tries to take their mind from off the natural, physical realm, temporal realm, and place it on a higher plane and focus on things of, of, much, of much greater importance. And that is spiritual truth. All right, so Jesus here tries to teach them this lesson, warns them against the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, in the Bible, leaven is a picture of, of sinful corruption. Leaven is a picture of sinful influence. It's a, it's a picture of false doctrine. Uh, it, it is a picture of sin. And whether it's a, it's a little bit of sin or a, a little bit of a false doctrine, again, just a little bit of it is able to permeate, uh, again, an, an entire life. It takes over, just like leaven takes over in a piece of bread, so it is with, uh, with a sinful influence in our life. So it is with false doctrine. So it is with sin that we tolerate within our life. So whether it is moral leaven or whether it is doctrinal leaven, the point is the same. Galatians 5.19 or 5.9 says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Just allowing a little bit of compromise, a little bit of sin, you know, a, a, a little bit of false doctrine— the Bible warns us that just a little bit, it leavens the whole lump. It, 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 it permeates the whole loaf. And so it does in our lives. And that is why sin has to be removed. That is why false doctrine has to be removed. And otherwise it spreads. It, yeah, it may start out small, but if it's not removed, it spreads very, very quickly. And therefore Jesus warns his disciples, beware of the leaven, the sinful influence, the corrupt hypocrisy, the, uh, the, the, the uh, false doctrine of the Pharisees and of Herod. All right, beware of these things. Watch out for these things. Don't allow this leaven into your minds. Don't allow this little bit of leaven into your heart. You may think, again, just a little bit's fine, but it's not. Just a little bit corrupts the whole thing. Just a little bit permeates and it spreads and it takes over. It's like leaven does in a loaf of bread. So Jesus warns them against, first of all, the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? You look at the Pharisees, and you can really summarize it by saying that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. You know, Jesus, Jesus warned against the fact that, uh, again, they, they, they taught men certain things, but they didn't perform those things themselves. All right? they, were, uh, they, they were the chief hypocrites of their day. Uh, ritualism, superficial externalism in their devotion to God— they added human traditions to the word of God. And, you, you know, you may be thinking, well, the leaven of the Pharisees, you know, the, the, the disciples really needed to watch out for that. But did you know the leaven of the Pharisees is still with us today? Again, it's, it, it, we may not call it the leaven of the Pharisees, but the leaven of the Pharisees is still with us today. You know, there are multitudes of people who go through religious motions day in, day out, week in, week out, month in and month out, all across, all across this world. 
They have a superficial externalism, superficial devotion to God, but they've never been born again by the Spirit of God. They've never truly been saved by the grace of God. Again, maybe they're trying to, to work their way to God, hoping their good works outweigh their bad works, but they don't recognize that's not how it works. All right, one sin, that's all it takes to condemn me to hell. All right, so again, th- th- there's, there's many people who are caught into a religious trap. Again, who go through motions, who are like the Pharisees, they, they give into hypocrisy, they give into ritualism, and something else they do, just like the Pharisees, is what they often do is they add their human traditions to the level of the Word of God. Whether it's the cults, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, with the Watchtower, the Mormons, with the writings of Joseph Smith, whether it's uh, the Roman Catholic Church, that again, they, they clearly state, again, they, they add human tradition to the same level as the Word of God, again, and the list could go on and on and on. So the leaven of Phariseeism is still with us today. And we must watch out for it. We must beware of it. But there's also the leaven of Herod or the Herodians. And the leaven of Herod is different than the Pharisees. This is, this is materialism. This is immorality. This is worldliness. This is secularism. All right. So again, there are those that get caught into a, a, a religious trap like the Pharisees, but they've never, they don't have any true relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But then there are others who go the opposite direction and become totally secular in their thinking like the Herodians. I mean, the, the Herodians, again, they were totally secular in their thinking, and they totally embraced the, the corrupt Roman culture of the day. All right, the Roman culture, again, was not a, again, was not Mayberry. All right, the Roman culture was, was, was corrupt. It was vile. It was full of all sorts of vice and sin. All right, and the Herodians, again, they adopted this materialistic, you know, secularistic, immoral uh, behavior into their life. And Jesus says, beware of the Herodians. All right, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Also, beware of the leaven of Herod. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus includes a third group. All right, so it's not included here in Mark, but in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus also includes the leaven of the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, again, you can sum up their leaven with the word skepticism. All right, the Sadducees were, again, they, they denied the supernatural. Again, they, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. They didn't believe in the immortality of the soul. All right, so they were rationalistic in their thinking. They were the theological liberals and modernists of their day. All right, so they, they, were, the, they were the skeptics of their day. And this leaven is still seen today. You know, there are groups of people who meet and call themselves churches, but they deny, they deny that God's word is a perfect book. They deny the inerrancy of scripture. I mean, there are groups that deny that Jesus was more than a man and that he was truly the son of God, that he's the eternal son of God. You know, there, there are groups that, you know, are, that, that deny the miracles of the word of God. You know, they'll come to portions of scripture like the feeding of the 5,000. They'll try to explain it away through some naturalistic means. Rather than simply taking God at his word and saying God is a God of miracles. I mean, God can do miracles. All right? Again, so don't go the route of the Sadducees. Don't go into a theological liberalism and say, well, I don't believe miracles. I don't believe in the supernatural. If you believe the Bible, then you do, because all those things are real. All those things are true. All right? We read that in the word of God. All right, so Jesus gives this lesson. Watch out for the leaven of Herod. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out for the leaven of the Sadducees. But notice how, uh, take a look at verse number 16. Notice how the disciples responded to this. Verse number 16. And how this is like, again, disciples of today, how we often respond. Verse 16, it says, And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. All right, so they, they totally missed the point. Jesus has given them a spiritual lesson. Watch out for, for, again, spiritual compromise. You know, watch out for hypocrisy. Watch out for skepticism. Watch out for all these things. And they're still thinking about bread. They're still thinking about their next meal. They're still thinking about the fact that, again, they don't have the food that they need. So they, they totally missed the point. Jesus was, again, given a spiritual lesson, but their minds are still on the natural, the temporal, the physical. All right, again, that's, that's what they were focused on. So we find here that the disciples, again, still lacked spiritual perception. They still lacked spiritual maturity in a lot of ways. And that is one reason why Jesus is going to take time 
again, to, to really pour into the disciples, to train the disciples so that when he's gone, again, they, they carry on the work of Christ. Um, take a look at how Jesus responded in verse 17. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? Having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven thousand among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? The problem wasn't bread. Right, they shouldn't have been fretting about where they were going to get their next meal. Jesus, again, this is the one who fed 5,000. This is the one who fed 4,000 with just a few loaves and a few fish. All right, Get your minds off, off bread. Again, I can provide your bread. I can provide your food. I can provide your meal. All right, And get your focus upon uh, things that really matter. All right, These the spiritual truths I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to equip you. And so you're not spiritually misled. In Matthew 16, verse 12, the Bible says, Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So we see here, yes, they didn't initially understand, but Jesus, again, helped them to understand. They, they, they eventually did understand what Jesus was saying. I want to close uh, this morning with a quote that really uh, shows the difference between the Pharisees and their response to the word and the disciples. All right. Again, we're again Christians today. We're so much like the disciples. You know, we we have a hunger for the word. We want to follow Christ. We're doing the best we can, but we we kind of stumble along the way as we do it. All right. But Jesus still comes along and he helps us. And sometimes he has to rebuke us and you know, other times he, 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 he is, he, he's compassionate with us and, and, and takes us along and helps us to grow. And we need that. And I'm, I'm thankful that, that, again, our Father is like that towards us. But this quote says this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees re- reacted to additional light with greater rejection. The disciples responded with a deeper desire to learn more. The leader's darkness, speaking of the Jews, deepened. The disciples' darkness dissipated. By persisting in their unbelief, the religious leaders were abandoned by him and ultimately cast into everlasting hell. By embracing the Lord Jesus and saving faith, the disciples were embraced by him and ultimately welcomed into eternal heaven. All right, so the disciples, again, they struggled along the way. You know, they had a lot of times where they fell flat on their face. They totally missed the point Christ was trying to teach them. Christ had to give them lessons again and again and again. And how much, how much again, we're, we're like that. All right? But you see here that the disciples, they responded to the light they were given. They wanted to know more. They wanted to grow. They wanted Christ. They wanted to follow him. Again, they, and they did the best they could. You know, and Christ rewarded that. Again, they, they grew in their faith. They grew in their understanding. They grew in maturity. They grew in perception. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, again, they took the completely different path. Again, the, the path of rejection. The light they were given, they rejected it. They didn't want anything to do with it. And notice, while the, while the Pharisees, again, they, they ended up in greater spiritual darkness, and ultimately, their end was hell. Again, the disciples, who although they stumbled along the way, they responded to the light they were given. Christ gave them more light, and he welcomed them into the joys of heaven. And that's the difference. You see, you see people all around us. Can some respond like the Pharisees? They don't want anything to do with it. Can they, they don't want anything to do with the truth. They don't want anything to do with the light of truth. You know, and then there's others. You know, there's others who decide, you know, I, I, I don't have much to offer Christ, but again, I, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to worship him because he's worthy. You know, I, I may not have it all together, but I'm going to keep growing. I may not have all the answers, and I may stumble from time to time, but I'm going to get up, and I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to keep following him. You know, that's what Jesus rewards. Jesus rewards the disciples. Jesus rewards those who respond to the light with faith, who embrace Christ as Lord and Savior, and walk in obedience to him. Christ gives them more light and blessing, and he guides them and welcomes them into heaven. Again, what about you this morning?
Again, how are you responding to the light of God's truth? Uh, again, I, I, again, I surely hope again, nobody would say, again, like, like the Pharisees, but is that, is that true? Again, are you persisting in unbelief? You've been given light, you've been given truth again and again and again, but you say, I don't want anything to do with it. Now, I would rather, I would rather have it my way than God's way. I would rather have my sin than the Savior. Again, are you persisting in unbelief? And think long and hard about, again, what that means. Think long and hard of what that meant for the, for the Pharisees. Think long and hard of, of the end of the Pharisees. Then secondly, have you embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you growing in your desire to know more of God's word? Or are you becoming spiritually deaf to God's word? Then God gives greater light to those who receive the light that's been given. God rewards fruitful hearers of the word of God with uh, again, greater maturity and greater growth and a closer walk with him. And so how do you respond to the word? And the choice is yours. And the choice is yours this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. And God, we thank you for the time you've given us in your word. And Lord, I do pray that, uh, Lord, the truth that has gone forth this morning, I pray you would use it in the hearts and lives, Lord, of each and every person that is here. And God, you know the needs before us. God, you know the need of every single person that is here this morning. God, I do pray if there's anyone here today who has never, uh, Lord, come to the place of saving faith in Christ. Well, they've never been born again. They've never, uh, Lord, repented and, uh, Lord, placed their faith and trust in Christ. In Christ alone, not their works, not religion, not some, uh, Lord, not heritage, Lord, but Christ and Christ alone. God, I pray that today would be that day, Lord, when they would repent and call upon Christ to save them from their sins. And God, I pray for each and every believer here today, God. I pray that the truth we've been given, or that we would continue to respond to your word with a sense of hunger, Lord, with a desire to know more, Lord, as, as fruitful hearers of your word. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just guide us along the path, Lord. And I thank you, God, for your patience with us, Lord, even, even your disciples, Lord. Lord, even as we saw in your earthly ministry, Lord, how, Lord, you were patient with your disciples, God, uh, Lord, in the first century, Lord. And Lord, how you helped them along the way and, and Lord, just uh, uh, guided them and directed them. Lord, I thank you for, Lord, how you do that in our lives, Lord. And I pray that we would not be disobedient children, but I pray that we would be submissive children to our Heavenly Father, Lord, obeying you from our hearts. And God, I love you and praise you. Have your will and way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.